In piedi! Toruzzo, come va? Come va? Bene, esatto. Signori, mi auguro voi apprezziate la novità d'essere riuniti qui tutti insieme. Qua non ci deve essere più niente, bisogna cominciare subito. Coraggio al lavoro, buttate giù. Dico bene, dottore? Sì, grazie. Arrivederci, ragazzi. Ci vediamo in un prossimo video. Lo speriamo. Ciao, Marinelli. Welcome to Cinema Italia, a podcast dedicated to the world of Italian cinema. Presented by me, John Bleasdale. to Cinema Italia. My, my name is John Bleasdale and I'm joined by James Peaty, the brilliant comic book writer, writer of many uh, fascinating... Well, uh, what what have you been writing recently, James? Uh, what have I been writing recently? We've actually been writing some theatre, which is a bit of a new thing for me. But um, I've just finished, for 2008, the last year, I finished the series Skip Tracer, which I did seven books of, which was quite long. <laughs> The lockdown years would be most of that, I think, actually. Certainly the second half. Did another series for them. I just finished around the same time called Diamond Dogs. Those were my lockdown projects. Um, I'm doing a few sort of short... I've been doing a few short things for 2000 recently. Some A series called Bladers, which has been in the blog recently. And, and something else. What did I do? Another thing called Scooter and Jinx. But I used to do Dot 2 for Titan Comics. Done various things for DC and marvel in the past so uh that's my main thing but yeah i've been doing i made i made i've made i've made films and written films in the past the last short film i made was a couple of years ago actually um but i've been during lockdown i started doing joined the scott theater group writers group and i've got a short play that's on in uh at southwark playhouse in a few weeks which is a part of a kind of even a showcase thing but that's really interesting i've been i haven't really ever done that before also not since i was at school so it's a uh, that's been a kind of interesting thing to be working with actors again in that kind of environment. It's very, very interesting. Oh, yeah. I've, I've got a very romantic notion of the theatre from my sort of university theatre days. But I, you know, there's, no, there's no better atmosphere. There's no better um, place to be in terms of excitement and everything than sort of behind the scenes of a, of a theatrical production, I think. Well, I never, I haven't been at university. I did it at GCSE. Right. <laughs> so, but I was in a school play when I was, it, it's now just reopened in the West End, isn't it? The Guys and Dolls. But I was in a big school production of Guys and Dolls when I was about 15. And that was kind of a bit of a, I guess that was a bit life changing because I did, the, I was in the, the production, the kind of company, the rehearsals, and I was doing sort of GCSE drama at the time. And I, that's really where I first started writing. I did, I wrote mm. plays. I was like 15, 16 for us to, to do as part of our assessments. It kind of morphed into something else as I got a bit older. I didn't do drama or theatre studies when I went to do my A-levels, but, um, but more towards film, which was obviously what I was kind of guess was more interested in. Mm. But coming back around to it again now, older, it's like it's interesting. That's where it starts. But that's, I guess, that's where it all starts for most people because it's putting our play is much cheaper as well. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and very uh, pure as well. You've got that pure, very pure connection with your audience. And it's interesting doing things with um, or writing comics. You, you've got that kind of barrier between you and an audience and it's filtered through the artist as well. And you don't really have, I mean, the internet's changed things a bit, but there's not a huge amount of feedback with the audience. Mm. And when you do make short films, or whatever you, unless you get them in a, a festival and you're at that screening, you, you get kind of no kind of feedback from really how that plays with an audience. But when you're doing a, theatrical piece you're there and you can see whether it works or it doesn't work and you know so I had a piece last played a couple of weeks ago on a Monday night sort of thing showcase rehearsed reading which was great it read it played really really well it was a really great experience but you never get that kind of visceral hit and I think once you get that kind of hit you kind of want a bit more of it <laughs> because we're all so vain and 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'm... validation in that way. So yeah, so um, that's kind of what I'm doing. Now. What's the name of the of the play? Uh, the the piece I've got playing in a couple of weeks is called Mother Knows Best. It's a very short thing. It's only sort of mm. five little piece. It's two hander. Uh, but as it's as it's by me, there's there's kind of a uh, the the the, uh, the the words Councillor Troy and Batman are mentioned in it. You know, <laughs> there's a kind of pop cultural kind of component to it, and the, and the words Marty Pello as well, um, Bradley Walsh, and I think who's the other one? Nicky Campbell is also mentioned. So it has a kind of a uh, it's very rooted. <laughs> That, that's your, that's your five minutes up, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, you, the, the whole worlds are contained in those words. Yeah, it's um. So yeah, that that's 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 what it is. So mother knows best. It's on a, be on the Southwark Playhouse as part of a Art from the Heart, which is on by Directors Cut Theatre Company, which is I think it's the thirtieth of April in the evening. Right. right. If you're ready, for some reason go there. Yeah. Well, there you go. Give it give it a bit of a plug. Although um, I'm not entirely sure when we'll be we'll be publishing this podcast so that might have already happened <laughs> if it's already happened it was a wonderful evening that's what I was yeah saying. everybody enjoyed it everybody enjoyed yeah, it absolutely um in the connection with uh your chosen film investigation of a citizen above suspicion mm-hmm. or to give it the italian title indagine su un cittadino al di sopra di ogni sospetto these wonderful <laughs> These wonderful long titles that uh, Italian films of the 70s uh, had are, are really good. Um, this is a film from 1970, directed by Elio Petri and starring Gian Maria Volonté, um, who, to go back to the theatrical connection just briefly, uh, broke through first in the theatre. Uh, he was in the first Italian um production of Samuel Beckett's Crap's Last Tape. Oh, right. Um, and he's, uh, and I think he was a, I think he, he did Shakespeare and he's a, he's kind of coming out of that quite classically trained tradition of uh, Italian theatre actors. Uh, but probably best known to you and me, the likes of us, um, as uh, the villain in um, Fistful of Dollars and a, a different villain in for a few dollars more, yeah. um, I I don't know. I I would I imagine you probably similar in, in that I assumed he was Mexican in, uh, in watching those films. Well, you never know, do you? I mean, mm. I'm interested in watching this. I, I kind of see. I can see this. I didn't know about the the the, the his theatrical career. Um, he's got a bit of a Olivier about his face as well, especially in this, especially with the shorter hair. Yes. Something about Larry, about especially when you see Olivier in things like, you know, I don't know, Sparkus, you know, that that period as well. Mm. Maybe it's the haircuts, maybe it's him, but he's got something of the Olivier in his face that maybe isn't there in the uh not apparent in the 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 Leone films. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. There's something very much there's a sort of flat there's a, something about his mouth. And there's yes. some, and there's something sort of cruel in his in his face, which is, uh, which I think, which I'm absolutely positive is is the the performance <laughs> rather than the physical sort of makeup. But yeah, there yes. is it's more than a passing resemblance to to Olivier. That's that's, and I, I think um, in terms of nationally, how he's considered as an actor in in Italy, I think he would be among the Oliviers. Um, Interesting. Uh, it just, just, just in terms of there, there's uh, Volonté, there's um, Mastroianni, mm. and I think I would, I would probably suggest those two were the leading um, serious dramatic actors of of Italian cinema. Right. Um, yeah, I guess. Well, also the, I guess. Mr. Antonio, Mr. Antonio is the most internationally known, probably, isn't he? I guess. Yeah, I, th- that's what. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm really specifying in Italy because I think in outside of Italy, uh, okay. Mastroianni is absolutely famous uh, and his iconic image of Italy. Whereas Volante is, uh, you know, is the guy from Eastwood shot. Right. You know, um, beyond say. Cinephiles or, or people with a particular interest, which is uh, which is unfortunate because I think he is an absolutely. I think he's got a stunning um, run of films, of which this is 
perhaps one of his best performances. Um, where did you first come across uh, this film? Uh, where did I first come across it? I first came across it, I'm trying to think how long ago it would have been. I'll say around 10 years ago when I was making my short, my first short, my second short, actually. So this was probably 20, yeah, it would have been about 2013, so the time my daughter was born. Mm. Um, I was working with, um, on my first sort of three films. I did three films with um, an Italian um, editor, right. by Alessandro Benglimia. And um, Alessandro had studied film at, in Italy, uh, university, and he studied with, I not going to say that he studied with the editor of this, but he studied with someone who was, you know, I cannot remember, but top guy in the Italian cinema. And obviously because of that, he had obviously gone a deep dive into uh, Italian cinema history. And I'd written a, we were working on a, so we were working on a cut of a short. It was my second short, it was appraisal. Um, and I'd written, a, I've written, have written a feature version of that. There was a, it could have maybe got made at some point around about 2016, but we were talking about it then because mm. we were cutting this other scene and he was saying, oh, you should see this. It reminds me of this, the screenplay. Mm. I was like, what's this? <laughs> so he kind of gave me a a, a, a DVD copy of, um, of the film with subtitles, which I watched then. And it was like, uh, it's while it's not the same sort of, it's not the same story. I can see what he meant. There's a lot of similar kind of tone and feel and the kind of politics, I guess. There's the the, the way this film's structured, with the, the the way the flashbacks are kind of woven in, but you're never quite sure if they're real or imagined. And there's a kind of, yeah, that kind of elusive quality to it. So, yeah, I think that, and, and I think also as well that the, the lead character is maybe, there's a little bit of kind of resonance there. So Alessandra gave me, sent that my way and, and I watched it from there, and it's like you think, well, wow, <laughs> this is a serious piece of work that is completely, in a way, completely invisible within the kind of broader kind of cinematic culture. And yet, I think if you look at it, it's it's clearly been very influential. I mean, I think we were talking. I think we, Ali and I were talking about you know um, the Sorrentino film, the consequences of love. There's an. I think while that's mm. not not the same kind of film. There's something of that in the in there's something of this in that I think definitely and, and even Il Divo as well the um, Sorrentino yeah. sort of political uh, I think it's his follow up to Consequences of Love is is definitely uh, feels like it's influenced widely by Elio Petri's work yeah and also I think when you look at it you then say, well, this is, has, to, has to be an influence on stuff like Bad Lieutenant and also on st even something like The Departed as well, when Scorsese did that. I know, I know it's a remake of Infernal Affairs, but I'd say there's more of the of this in that than Infernal Affairs. <laughs> I was thinking of the bit in um, Departed where he's looking at the, where he's got the apartment look, overlooking the church and all that. So that, that, there's an element of that, I think, that's very strong in it. And also the difference there between, you know, Ferrara and Scorsese's Italian Americans as opposed to Italians, you know, their their thing is that the church in a way is kind of more, is the thing, isn't it? And more, and redemption, the badness and redemption. And, you know, there's a kind of Hollywood element to that as well, as dark mm. as those films are. Whereas, although I'd say The Departed is obviously more nihilistic <laughs> with some of the others. Whereas here you've got, that's not really, the clerical thing is not really there, but it's about, you know, you're in a, that sort of, there's, there's a lot less romanticism about these structures of power in a, in Italian cinema and Italian culture full stop. So I think there's a difference, the emigre and the kind of like the, the sort of indigenous sort of experience are very different. And the way they, the way obviously it thinks about power and politics and everything else is, um, so I, those were the things that really struck me when I saw it, is it re, it, it resonates Sorrentino's work, but I think also with Ferrara and, and, and Scorsese, obviously. I don't think I've ever heard Scorsese or Ferrara talk about it, but... Um... Yeah, that, that, that'd be interesting to, to to look up, actually, because I'm, I absolutely agree with you about both of those, although I hadn't really thought of The Departed, but absolutely, uh, I think that's a really good call. Uh, interestingly, uh, you, the fact that you um, sort of came in this while you were... At, uh, via an editor, the editor of the film Ruggiero Mastroianni is actually um, uh, brother to the actor. To uh, yeah, and uh, and so there's a the, he's actually one of the most sort of famous and credited editors of this period. Um, so yeah, pretty uh, 
and he also quite he looks quite similar to his brother as well. So that's uh, quite quite uh, one of those Attenborough like families where everyone sits around lunch going, "What are you doing this week?" This this darling, yes. A dish of the edit suite, whereas most editors are kind of like sort of hunched over. And uh, to be fair, Alessandro was not like that. But yeah, it's, yeah. but it's, it's a small world, isn't it? And it's small and, it, and that culture. It, I mean, I think that's the interesting thing about Italian cinema of this kind of from the 60s onwards is there's a lot of cross-pollination, isn't there? Mm. Whether that's Leone, whether that's Argento, whether that's all these different. I mean, it also it made me think of that as well. I mean, it, it, you what struck me th- there's consequences of these are the obvious ones but also you can you have to look at it and see i think there's a long there's a there's a big connection to salo in there and i'd say there's a strong connection to um well that's the one that really sort of struck me actually mm. Mm. Well, well actually you mentioning um argento i think would be a uh, uh, is in in a in a way it does connect to more genre cinema of the jali and the what we call the polizeschi as well the sort of police procedurals well yeah you're right i think there was the in terms of italian cinema it made me it definitely there's an element of like the bird with the crystal plumage because i think that's made around the same sort of time isn't it there's a sim before argento goes full kind of you know operatic in his style there's kind of still some sort of one foot in reality to some degree but also there's the, you talk about the Italian, you know, the, the police films, but also the French ones. So if you think of like Melville, I was thinking it's interesting the parallel and differences between what, say, Melville was doing in like the Circle Rouge and stuff like that, um, roughly around the same sort of time, um, late 60s, early 70s period. And this type of film, the Italian flavour and the French flavour is very different for the italian flavor this is far more kind of lurid and sweaty and you know it's kind of like you know it's kind of it's earthy it's 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 very tactile whereas the french stuff is much more kind of removed and remote and you know looks better on a poster in a lot of ways Mm, yeah yeah i mean uh, volonté of course was in um the circle rouge as well uh so there's a sort of the, it, there's a sort of european crossover as well as an italian crossover as you yeah, were absolutely. saying i i let, let's talk a little bit about the story and um i think i it's safe to say we're gonna sort of spoil the film uh so if you care about that sort of thing um you might want to watch the film first but um i tell you the truth i i don't think this is a this is a fairly spoiler-proof film. It's not like you have any real twists. It's a bit like Columbo. You know who did the murder. You know? well, it's very, yeah, it was very like Columbo. It's like, well, the plot is completely not the point of the film, and it's like the the plot is kind of played up front in the first sort of three four minutes, isn't it? I mean, that's it. In fact, the first ten the first ten minutes is the film in in a way. That's the and then how it plays out from there is a totally different thing. Yeah. So so just to give a, a brief sort of synopsis of of of. Uh, of the of the story um a character who who we don't actually i don't think we ever get a name i think he's just always referred to as il dottore uh yeah. which, which is um uh dottore is in italy is used very promiscuous promiscuously mm-hmm. uh to to anyone who basically has a degree uh, can can call themselves dottore um so it's an honorific uh but it, mm. it, it you you can be an architect and you can be a dottore you can be a policeman or lawyer and you can be dottore so it it's not um it, it's not as if it's being used in some sort of ironic way or anything like that it's it, that's perfectly but anyway that's that's how he he's kind of named in his official thing he played by volante we see him at the very beginning murder his lover, um, mm. Augusta Terzi, who's played by the Brazilian sort of supermodel Florinda Balkan. This happens. So sort of, I was interested re-watching this when, when you suggested watching this, James, uh, uh, that it happens on the eve of his promotion. So yeah. in a way, it takes that cliche of one last case and sort of flips it a little bit because it's it, it is kind of his last case but he's not going to be on it because the next mm-hmm. day he become he is taking up his new position which is as a uh as a head of a sort of political department of well he's uh, the head of homicide isn't he that's basically what he is and then he he commits murder <laughs> for reasons that we sort of un- unfold 
And even then, you kind of have to make you, you it's never kind of completely. He does kind of sort of say, but you know, even then, there's a, an element of ambiguity to it, isn't there? It's like, yeah, he's, he's going from bit from strict criminal investigation to political investigation, isn't he? That's right. Yeah. So as as you said, he's he's head of homicide, and then he hands that over, and he he becomes the the head of a new political sort of crimes unit, um, which is seen as much more powerful. So he's definitely he's he's definitely on his way up the the various, and he he has a sort of um, he has a political patron, I guess you would say, who is mm. uh, who he immediately sort of goes and, and says, oh, I had an affair with this murder victim. And the guy goes, oh, what was she like in bed? You know, that's uh, yeah. his, his first sort of question. And throughout the rest of the film, he increasingly sort of puts himself in the way of the investigation in terms of leaving clues, you know, making witnesses show up and things like that interrogating witnesses himself in in a way that that seems bafflingly self-destructive and yet also there's um there are a series of flashbacks which as you say sort of sort of to some degree justify not justify but give the motivation and the uh, uh, uh for his for his crimes but i i also agree with you that 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 motivation isn't necessarily sort of completely explanatory you know it's it's no. there are various things there but i'm not sure how much we're it's a little bit like iago in othello you know do, do we do we trust what he tells us for why he does what he does well it's the whole thing it's the fallible narrator idea isn't it as well we've seen so many people do this i mean christopher nolan's made a career out of it you know it's like um there's a little bit of like following i think in it as well actually you can this, this is in a similar kind of the complicity and the kind of because it's super noir. I mean, it, you take the political out of it, and I mean, and obviously, it's the cinema of ideas that's really kind of popular in the sixties, early seventies, particularly Italian cinema. But you take that away from it, and it doesn't look like a noir, but it's also it's very noir in the way that it's very. The other film that it reminded me of is is The Offense. Mm, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, Cinelemet. And Sean Connery and Ian Bannon, isn't it? Is the you yeah. Know, I mean that it's that is the closest thing I can think of to a film that's that's similar in that it has a kind of theat. There's a sort of theatrical element to it, but it's about ideas. But it's about there's no such thing really in that film. And in this film, as a good guy, there is a, there is no such kind of <laughs> nothing is as is it cut and dried as that. Absolutely, there are there are victims, and there are but even the victims seem to 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 some degree be putting themselves in the way of danger. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, the noir idea is really good, even though it's almost like they flip the negative at some point because he throughout the film wears this sort of uh, white suit. Yes. Which again, you know, who goes and commits a murder with a razor blade? Yeah. Well, he, also, he tells her he's going to do it as well. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. He, said, <laughs> he says, "I'm going to cut your throat." In the, in like the third minute of the film. Yeah. And then, and then she he does it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not. But I mean, th- then with the flashbacks, you understand that this has been part of a sort of sadomasochistic kink mm. that they have which is um him using her to stage crime photos and crime restage, scenes isn't it? restage yeah absolutely to restage uh, criminal investigations that he's been party to well it's funny you say that i i when i was a kid when i was a kid i was a teenager i had a friend at school and his dad worked at scotland yard and he worked in the forensics department but he worked at the, at the yard in the building and the stories he tells us about the coppers. I mean, and it's interesting if we talk about the, the the Metropolitan Police, all the shit that's coming out sort of now, right? About you know what the sharing of WhatsApp messages and pictures of victims and stuff like that, which is kind of what this is doing. I mean, this is this it's interesting that this is that they're doing this in 1970. There was a guy who worked up at the uh, at the yard who used to video. I mean, this is the days of video, so this is the sort of late 80s, early 90s. He'd video any disaster on TV. Zeebrugge, Heysel, the Bradford Fire, you know, the Marchioness. So he'd just take them. And he had his little kind of like this video, 180-minute VHS of death and destruction. Faces of death stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, 
But it's interesting is that the, I heard that. So I heard that in the late 80s. And there was another friend of this guy who was an undercover couple. We went to visit him when we were teenagers. He worked with him. And this guy was undercover. He was friends with um Bizarrely used to ride motorbikes with Paul Kossoff from Free. And the plot thickens. And he lived in he lived Lady Hamilton's house, you know, of Lord Nelson, you know, in up in the that part of London. Obviously, several hundred years after Lady <laughs> Hamilton lived there. But this guy was undercover, and and, uh, and you know it's a very sad story. The whole thing, he's, his life kind of went out of control. The, but the, you look at the the stuff about the psychops scandal in the last few years as well, and you think, well, this, you know, I'm not saying this guy was involved in that, but you know, it's not a stretch to say that that was what was going on. So I kind of say this kind of touched a sort of <laughs> a few buttons in the back of my head that I kind of was aware of when I was younger. There maybe other people were not at the time, but then. Now, you know, fast forward 25, 30 years, it's pretty much sort of out in the open, you know. Absolutely. And I mean, I think what the one of the things that the film suggests is this is almost like an inevitable part of power, you know, and and, and violence. Well, I think it's specifically Italian because I think it, it, what we're talking about is the difference between British culture and Italian culture. And you right. know this because you're, you're there. <laughs> um is that, you know, Italy, the Italian culture is absolutely aware of the kind of absolutism of power, whether that's the Catholic Church, whether that's Mussolini, whether that's, what you know, Devo, whether that's kind of Berlusconi, any of these kind of people. Whereas in Britain, we're a servile culture. You know, we've got, we're, we're subjects. And there is deference to authority. That's whether that's deference to the Tory party, whether that's deference to people in, you know, the royal family. And that subject thing goes very, very deep. So you look at this, that this culture was kind of asking those questions 40 years ago, nearly 50 years ago. It was, and in fact, it was saying it much earlier than that, because that mm. whole period after the, the World War II, it's, it's written through it like rock. Whereas in Britain, we kind of like... There's that whole thing, isn't there, that, that Orson Welles said, that the British imagination is a kind of Arcadian fantasy. And if you go into the House of Lords, there's a place, I don't know if you've ever been there, there's a ro the robing room, robe up the Queen, before she go into the state opening of Parliament. And on the frieze around the walls is, it's a story of Christ, then it's the story of King Arthur. Mm. And it's like fairy stories. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a Midsummer Night's Dream. It's that That is the British... Thing. it's an it's a an inability and it's not true of everybody but there's the strong strand that always kind of snaps back into flight to place is fantasy the good king and the good institutions and the good knight and all these kinds of things and we don't the italians don't have that yeah <laughs> yeah and absolutely uh, the, the, this level the laughing policeman you know the the dixon of doc green the the you know that even today we have sort of um you know uh uh even, I mean, even in the 80s and 90s, the bill, um, yeah. you know, a, a real sense that the British copper with his sort of uh, helmet and everything is is uh, is to be trusted. And, you, you know, recent events have proven that to be a romantic illusion. Well, the line of duty, you know, you know, we're, we're the guys sorting, rooting out corruption. The, the answer to the cops is more cops. Yeah. To just put it in some, to put it in that sort of Italian context, which I think you you're absolutely right to say this is very specifically Italian, and it's very specifically Italian in the '60s and '70s film when all the the politics were really on the surface. The text, there was no subtext. It was it was no. text. Uh, Elio Petri is making. I mean, Elio Petri is member of the Communist Party until I think until Hungary. Jan Maria Vonte is member of the Communist Party for pretty much his entire career, and he even stands uh, in in what the the post Stalin post Communist Party left. He stands in in various elections, so they're both very committed. That commitment has to be seen also in the context of the fascist past. So uh, Volante's uh, father was actually a sort of um, a fairly high up administrator in the fascist government. Mm -hmm. And uh, went to jail, was condemned for for the death uh, during the German occupation of Italy. Went to jail for several years. Um, he was condemned to something like thirty, I think, and he served eight. 
so that that's also feeding into these ideas of how power works because after the second world war it wasn't like all the policemen were kicked out and they hired a bunch of new policemen the policemen who worked under mussolini were 90 percent the same policemen who worked at post mussolini and the same thing for local government officials and you know lawyers and all the rest of it there wasn't a denazification uh, process that there was in, in Germany, as incomplete as that might have been in Germany, but there still was some sort of process in, involved. Instead, the fascists pretty much stayed in situ. They just uh, tore up their cards and, uh, you know, started singing the praise of the partisans. Um, a friend of mine actually went to a dinner uh, quite recently, and um, they they did the thing of sort of uh it was quite a posh house and they said oh uh, go to the bathroom and they were given directions and they went up and they went through the wrong door and they literally went into a room and there were like torches burning and and uh fascist memorabilia displayed and it was like oh no <laughs> you know so this is something that is hasn't just cast a shadow it's present today and the prime minister of italy at this moment georgia maloney is a fascist uh as you know she comes from a historically fascist party so yeah this film is very relevant to the times and very much part of an analysis of that sort of corruption well it's like that line from my claudius isn't it that uh all of the poisons that lurk in the mud precisely precisely and actually i mean i i say the word corruption but in a way it's not really corruption. It's the way it works. You know, it's... Well, it's, it's that whole thing of fat familial capitalism. You know, it's the kind of the way that capitalism is constructed in Italy or historically was, you know, after the war. It's, it's very kind of, you know, insiderish, clientelistic, you know, it's kind of corporatist in all, in all of those ways and in every sort of sense, you know. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's... I did a start. I mean, when I was in my, I did my MA in politics. I still teach politics um to at degree level um we did that we did a kind of thing of comparison of Ital of of european the european social models how that's played out as one module which was fascinating obviously the difference between germany and obviously we looked at japan as well but we looked at you know looked at particularly at germany looked at france and, and italy and that kind of runs deep i mean the idea that the it's like in italian football isn't it you've got like you know, how closely aligned the agnelli's were to juventus for so long you know i know that they've come in and bought it but the laurentis buying you know napoli now it's like it's the same names mm, absolutely <laughs> that just get recycled you know it's like um and that there's a there's yeah there's a, there's a, that's hugely important i mean it's like who's who's the recent prime minister the one that had to leave who they brought in the one who was that used to be who did the had the interim government before draggy draggy yeah yeah draggy yeah. Again, it's like they come from the face from the past. It comes back and sort of like uh, they made him stay. He wanted to leave, didn't he? Absolutely, absolutely. And it, I mean, um, coming coming back to the film, I think that that the way that that uh, Italian power is sort of expressed, and uh, it just in, in the film, it's like this guy can't have killed someone, and if they did, it's kind of it, it's kind of an inconvenience. It's not really yeah. a crime. And his the the use of the honorific, the use of the tore, it and the amount of respect he's given, and the way he expresses that power. There's some scenes where he is uh, sort of walking through. I mean, uh, you've referred to some films already. I'll add I'll add another one to the mix. There's there's something of Lee Marvin's march from Point Blank in the way yes. Volante sort of commands the movement of the camera and the scene and just like walks through a police station and and he's you know he's slapping people's faces and and tickling them under the chin and uh, you know it it's utterly um his power is sort of complete you know and that's got that thing about playing with time and what's the truth and all the rest of it as well isn't it i mean it's um yeah no i hadn't really thought of point blank but absolutely yeah <laughs> Yeah. It's a huge amount of uh, influence there. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I think it's... And again, when was Point Black? 67, 68? Yeah, yeah. With a bit. This is 70. This is... But, it, of course, I think it's interesting if we look at modern Italian politics, where the left sit in this, these left-wing radicals, these hairy bastards, as you kind of <laughs> say, and it's like, he's, you know, that's kind of... In a weird way, the right occupies that space now, you know, as the kind of... The, the disruptor. Yeah, the disruptor, exactly. So 
it's kind of interesting the way that shifted as well. It's yeah, I mean, and I think it, it, you know how many of those radicals would be on the right now? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the, the 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 opposition you see in the film uh, presented by the left is sort of, uh, and and this is partly uh, a, a reflection of the the times as well. Is the the gay husband. Mm -hmm. who who the film presents with sort of some sympathy as in he's the victim of this uh um of this scheme but also there's a sort of disdain that the film even has for him and the same thing with the neighbor who is a kind of more dangerous witness and has a sort of a bit of an afro and is a bit of you know has a I don't know the, the pop singer sort of look to him, and, and we, it's implied that he's been having an affair with the with the wife as well, and that exactly he's a, he's a more virile lover. All exactly. that stuff about you know you're a baby, which is the you know the, the thing about fascism. You know the thing is you can't make decisions that you are kind of infantilized in this kind of power structure, and that this radical is somehow you know he's a swinging dick, isn't he? He's like um. And I do think it's interesting in the film where he's he's in you said the white suit and the kind of cravat where he looks not more than faintly ridiculous, but where you wonder is that true? Is he kind of like creating this kind of story in his mind because she is such a kind of like um, she's not a character, is she? She's a kind of she's a kind of idea or a kind of if we're talking about it's the Madonna whore kind of thing. So there's I think the patriarchy and the kind of misogyny of the film. Is so woven into the kind of fabric of the piece. I mean, she's literally, apart from the cleaning woman, I think she's the only woman with any lines in the film, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. So he, so, so you know, one of his cats has got a, a, a basically a servant. And you come at one point, you think, is that his wife? And then you realise actually she's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so there's two women in the film that occupy. There's a domestic and a woman. He goes to. to that, that's yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and you know the fact that she's she appears only in flashback. Really, I mean, yeah, following yeah, right. that first five minutes, she's she's only seen in flashback, which means she's only really seen through his memory. So, mm. if she's, you know, I mean, it'd be too too much of a push to say she's a figment of his imagination, but she's certainly not a, a reliable sort of autonomous figure no. she's someone who's who's out there projected from his mind uh really even even if she did you know she did really exist at some point yeah no no she's totally when i think you're right there's no one no one's autonomous there's kind of no one's autonomous in the film it's all so subjectively kind of filtered through his his eyes and through his perception and his notion of reality that and the other film that that's that it's like his clockwork orange if you think of that really kind of, I mean, and obviously the difference is because obviously one one's in English, one, we the nuances of humour and of everything else. But that kind of, you know, institutional kind of like power structure, you know, dehumanisation, all the elements that are there. But also just, I think, in terms of tone, in terms of like the extremity of it, the kind of madness of it, the kind of the fact that it's all filtered through Alex's eyes in, you know, Clockwork Orange. And what's Clockwork Orange? 71? So this is all happening, this is kind of happening kind of at the same time. So, yeah, I think that there's definitely a kind of, there's a thing in the ether that he's tapping into, that Kubrick was tapping into as well, which is, you know, authority, freedom, power, you know. I mean, how many women are there in Clockwork Orange? It's probably, it's probably. The mum and the mom. and then everybody else is sort of uh, either a rape victim or, uh, yeah, exactly, or the model who turns up to test him. Yeah. Or the, I mean, or the the victim who's like the the grand the the sort of artist, the old sort of relatively Boy. older woman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and interestingly, Ennio Morricone, um, uh, Kubrick wanted Ennio Morricone to do Clockwork Orange, the music, and um, as a sort of courtesy, he phoned up um, Leone and said, you know, uh, could I could I borrow your composer and leone said no i've got plans for him and uh and morricone that's like one of his biggest regrets and one of the things he was furious with leone about was like i really wanted to work with uh kubrick but um and interestingly when kubrick saw this film he he is on record loving the score he thinks the score is is amazing and i i think it's one of leone's most striking 
scores. He's just he just manages to make these such unusual choices, and and yet it, you couldn't imagine a film without it. But you can't you can't imagine Kubrick not liking this film. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is the thing. Even though it's kind of it's nothing like in terms of technique and composition anything like that. It's nothing like a Kubrick film. It's it's far more freewheeling and loose than that. It, it, but in terms of the tone of it, absolutely. I mean, it's just. That's what I'm saying about Cockle Granger. I didn't actually know that that that, that story, but um, that doesn't make that doesn't surprise me. That's you can see a huge amount of connective tissue there, and also I think it's interesting if you look at Kubrick as well how how much of a a, a kind of a sponge for international cinema he was, and how, how his whole thing was to kind of bring in all of those different disparate elements and kind of put it into a into a vaguely commercial format. I mean, I always think of him as a great commercial artist. And with mm. as an artist as well, because he is absolutely that. But his films are far more kind of palatable <laughs> than things. And, but and we know so many people can't deal with Kubrick's movies because they're so kind of anti-structure or anti whatever whatever buzzword they kind of apply to it. Whereas what he's really pulling on, it's like that thing um, where he talks about um, he was obsessed with Kozlowski's Ten Commandments, wasn't he? Towards the end of his life, when he was before he was doing Eyes Wide Shut, that he couldn't. How can he make ten of these in a year? It's like, yeah, how much he loved it, and he and he would watch it in like, in what were those ones? Were they in, were they in Czech? Those I can't, I can't remember. I think it was Polish, wasn't he? I think yeah, he was yeah. So he watched whatever one it was. He and Jan Harlan they screened, and I think it was a short film about killing the one that they turned into a feature, and they just watched it without subtitles, without dubbing, you know, just to kind of be able to just absorb the, the film on that on that level. And I think we just think it's very interesting. Completely un- unconnected to what we're talking about. <laughs> no, 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 I I, I definitely uh I, I think that it's important for us to when we're looking at other national cinemas as well, it, it, how it feeds into our own na- national or international or English language cinema, which is much more, mm. uh, you know, obviously travels much, much more widely. Uh, so someone like Petri, you know, an argument for watching this film isn't like, oh, you need to watch this film because you need to know more about Italian cinema. It's you need to watch this film because you need to mo- know more about cinema full stop. You know, it, yes. it, 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 it stretches. And I mean, one of the results of that was actually that this film was uh, much more successful internationally than it was uh, in Italy, um, where uh, it was uh, uh, it won the Oscar for best um, foreign language film and was you know on a lot of critics or top ten lists and things like that internationally. But in Italy, it was attacked by the right for showing a sort of subversive view of society and attacked by the left. And you'll enjoy this for economically exploiting political issues. Wow. <laughs> so that if you want to know why the left have been historically weak in Italy, there you yeah. have it in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> they, they can't take a win. They can't take a yes no, no. for an answer. I don't think that's I don't think that's just in Italy. No. That means just in Italy. If ever there was if ever there's a side of an argument to be on, they generally choose the one that will make them look like Assholes. It's it's a sad fact of you know if you're on the left, sort of <laughs> yeah. But then, you know it's kind of it doesn't surprise me that it's not. Um, but it's also it, it's interesting. It won the Oscar. It's a, there's an element. It's not like that film at all. But you can see the same kind of things hitting the kind of the Academy thirty years later when they look at the lives of others or something like that. Totally, I mean, totally different film. That it's that, that film's far more kind of mainstream in its kind of construction, everything else. But that idea of power, they do love kind of like to look at the kind of, you know, to films that wag a finger, that those 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 uh, fascistic uh, power structures outside of the United States. So, yeah, that kind of that, that, that doesn't surprise me. But also it doesn't surprise me in 1970. I mean, what won Best Picture in that year? The French Connection. So, yeah, I mean, I think we were talking about Policier because you do look at some of the stuff in in this some of the shots some of the setup some of the texture and tone of the world and you also think of the french connection i did think mm. that when watching watching the film so you've got hollywood that can give that best picture in the year that gives this international best picture and i don't think that's 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 not an accident that's kind of where it was that's what was going on and again you can look at the french connection as kind of a i mean obviously it's very very influenced by french cinema 
more than kind of Italian cinema, I would say. But there is there's still that kind of connection we were talking about the policier and the, the the kind of Italian variants of that. It's still there, bubbling away. And obviously, the great thing in that is obviously he doesn't get a uh, he, he doesn't have a French lead. He has a Mediterranean lead, the villain, doesn't he? Rather than a French actor playing the, the Frenchman. <laughs> yes. So uh, so yeah, there's a there's a kind of and there's a whole thing about that going through Corsica, isn't there? And all the in the French connection, it's kind of got that still got that kind of. I always don't, I know, the one thing about the French connection, I never think of it as French. What is the French connection? It's it's uh, Fernando Rey, isn't it? The the yeah. sp- the famous Spanish actor. Exactly. exactly. So, but they are. I think they're moving things through Corsica, aren't they? I think there's this. It, it's in that. It's kind of yeah. I can't, it's a long time since I've seen it, but it's um. It, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's that strong. But it's got. There's an element of that. There's a strong. There's a strong kind of flavour of that that kind of runs through that at the time so the two of them side by side on that that year's academy awards that's pretty that's pretty fitting i'd say and that's but that says a lot about poli- about hollywood as well at the time about internet we talk about understanding cinema is that this was the temperature of cinema around this time and so many weird so many interesting and off-kilter films i mean when was Mc- mccabe and mrs miller must be around this time as well you know these weird kind of you know the the, the 70s becomes a lot more becomes more conventional a lot earlier than people think i i think in terms of mainstream us cinema there is that window of you know the godfather is 71 72 isn't it it's like the conversations another film with this is a bit there's an element of uh of that kind of lingers in this film as well i think you can see sort of some of that there's a lot of the recording of people there's the listening in there's the kind of the whole thing of power and which, which is coming from an Italian film because it's coming from um, Blow Up by Antonioni. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and it's, you know, with Antonioni, it's sort of like um, uh, a conspiracy that sort of the film then loses. Um, but, I mean, at 69, you've got Zed, uh, Costa Gavras' yeah. um, amazing sort of political thriller. Um, I, again, with, with this idea of... I think there's this febrile idea that the Nazis, the fascists, they've not gone away. They're still here and they could take over at any point and any sort of liberal progress could easily be rolled back. Which is pertinent to, to, so pertinent to today, which is why when you look at the things that are being discussed, sort of the, 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 the cultural kind of like touch points in this film, they're, they're absolutely applicable to 2023. Um, it's probably more pertinent in 2023 than, say, 2013. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, in regard to that, I think this would be an interesting way of sort of um, rounding off our conversation. Let's talk a bit about the conclusion of the film, because the conclusion is is probably the part of the film which I think becomes the most experimental or the most... It, it certainly was the part of the film that when I first watched it a good few years ago, I re-watched it uh, last week for this conversation, but when it, 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 that was the bit that I sort of like sat up and went, wait a minute, wait, what? Where? Where? How are we? Yeah, no, it's kind of goes into sort of... Um, he imagines an ending and then he and then he kind of wakes up or he, is he even asleep? He just imagines an ending and then, then we're left with an ending that gives us no answers. Right, exactly. So the the, uh, the sort of dream sequence, as you say, it's not not necessarily clear how clear this is a dream, how clear this is a fantasy, is is of the all the powerful people, all of his colleagues coming to his house, making him, him eat salt, which is a detail of uh, I you know it feels like some sort of masonic or ritualistic kind of uh, act. Purge him or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. It reminds me of sort of the um, castor oil punishment that the um, fascists would meet out, which uh, was recorded by Fellini and Amacord. If you mm. if you remember, as one one of those scenes, and they basically tell him that he isn't guilty of anything. He's he, none of the proof will stand up to any sort of examination, and sort of you know, it's the ring and. Sin no more, my you know, my son. And then he wakes up, as you say, and the, the the people all turn up to his house, and we don't know what is going to happen. We don't know what happens next. Yeah. So what what, what do you think happens next? <laughs> well, I think the thing before you talked about that, it's like it's kind of almost like a secular confession, isn't it? He's being absolved of his sins. It's got that kind of even though there's no religious element, obvious religious element, it's all completely weirdly symbolic and 
it made me think, you know, Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt, all that kind of weird stuff. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it sort of goes into that space. That's where it's a bit like, um, I think a bit like the offence as well, that there's this kind of like, what is he, is, has, has Sean Connery become a kind of paedophile, you know, by, you know, osmosis or, or whatever else. There's this weird kind of transference thing. There's this weird kind of breaking down of reality. It made me it remind me a little bit of like the end of Barbarian Sound Studio or something like that. It's like there's this, you know, which is obviously not an, something to, you know, completely disconnected from what we're talking about either. Um, there was, yeah, it's got this whole, is this what he thinks going to happen? Is he going to get what? doesn't really matter. I think it kind of, and it ends with the Kafka quote, doesn't it? Right, which of course um, uh, we were talking about this via social media earlier this week. After, after, I mean, this is like the reverse Kafka. Um, you know, a, a man is guilty of a crime, and the bureaucracy don't listen, to, refuse well, to punish him. You know, well, it's reverse Kafka and reverse Hitchcock. Right, right. You know, a, a man wrongly accused. You know, and the, and the, these forces outside are kind of like raining down on you. And how's he going to clear his name and all the rest of it? And it's kind of the opposite of that. But the quote, I can't remember the quote from Kafka. It's some it's something about you belong to the law and therefore are outside of justice. Yes, yes. So it's kind of interesting in that I think the implication is obviously he kind of gets away with it. That that would be my impl implication. Maybe he doesn't maybe he doesn't get forced to eat salt, but <laughs> that he would. And that there is I think what is interesting is that it's the it, it, in all these films, and I think this is the big connection, the big difference, obviously, with the US and the Italian cinema, most profoundly, is it's, and in particular this film, is it's not about in The Departed or in Bad Lieutenant, it's all about the individual. This is not really about the individual, it's about the system, it's about the structure, it's about the collective. And those ideas are really strong. So if you want to try and look at the film, I think the film is kind of that, it's about, it's about institutions of power, it's like, his, in a way, his whole kind of like turmoil, I think he's 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 torn, isn't he? That he is a child, that he is a kind of that he that he's, you know, if he he, he could be a radical or he could be a criminal. He is a criminal. So if he's a if he's a criminal, could he be a subversive? Could he be a gay artist like the husband? Could he be a could he be all of these things? So it's his internal turmoil kind of turned into this kind of an operatic kind of movement of music for two hours or whatever. And ultimately, the end of it is much like in those things like Pasolini's films. It doesn't really matter. You're not. You're not that. You're not that important. And obviously, she's not that important. You're, you're cogs. You might be a big cog. You might be a small cog. But in the end, you're a cog. And I mean, I think there's a brilliant reversal. We're talking about sort of reverse Hitchcock, reverse Kafka. Uh, but there's a superb scene where he is interrogating the. A husband and the husband sort of shouts, "I'm get, get this guy out of here! I'm on a, hmm. I'm not sure if it's the husband or the other guy. I, I don't remember. But anyway, he's he, the the person who's been interrogated sort of knocks on the door and gets the police to let him out of the cell yeah, and yeah. leaves yeah. the inspector in the cell. And it's yeah, just it's like radical, right? Exactly. And it's just, and he's and, like left at the other side like a little child, sort of like, yeah, no, he can go, he can go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, I, th I think if you think about this, I think one of the only things, it, I mean, there's, I think there's not, the film, I guess the American film that you would say is the most like this in terms of tone would be something like Killing of a Chinese Bookie. And there is no kind of, it's elusive. There's no way you can put anything down. American cinema will do this and television will do this with, with criminals, like The Sopranos as well. Mm. You can see a kind of element of, there's an element of that. The dream sequence is Tony's journey in that, turning what the things Tony does. We're left on a complete kind of like, what did happen to him? Whatever else, you know, that's all that's really. So the Italian American thing is kind of played through the criminal rather than through the, the figure of authority. But Chinese Bookie is kind of like that. And if you look at stuff, stuff like husbands and things like that, there is this complete inner, you know, willful, I will not say what the moral point of this film is. And that is because I think you're an adult watching this. You can make your own mind up. And that is, I think, kind of one of the... I mean, Ch Chinese Bookie, when, when was, have you seen that recently? Yeah, I've seen that fairly recently. Yeah, yeah. The Ben Gazzara, John Cassavetes. Yeah, I saw Cassavetes' season um, ooh, when I was about in my early 20s. And I, they showed a, the, the kind of... It was a cut of it that had never been shown since the Berlin Film Festival when it came out. Wow. 
And I think it's on the Blu-ray now. And I and I watched the version that's on the Blu-ray when I bought the bat a few years ago. And it's different. I mean, it's shorter in it. But but the thing that's striking in both of those films is is that is that there is no kind of concession to <laughs> mm-hmm. wrapping things up in a neat and tidy bow. And yet the film is incredibly moral. The morality kind of there is there is morality here. These characters may be amoral. You know, they are lit. The in in this, the Doctor is you know he's he's completely amoral. And it, but in some respects, it's the moral turmoil. But it. It's that thing is it doesn't matter. I think that's the thing is that it is your agency is bullshit. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I think the title is is a real indicator of, of this. Uh, they're, they're, you know, the title suggests that you're about to watch an investigation of a citizen above suspicion, but you don't see that investigation depicted. There isn't an investigation of him. He's not a suspect at any point. Well, so, I see. So the film itself has to be the investigation. Well, it's a self-investigation. I think it's a self-investigation. There's not something about it being very moral. It's kind of the, the, the... And I think it's interesting that when he talks about... When we talk about the secular, the religious collective ideas, you know, when we talk about the state, I mean, this is the thing in the background. It's the state, isn't it? It's the, mm. it, this is the thing. It's like absolutely, absolutely... Not. I mean, go, this, then this in Italy goes all the way back to, you know, we talk about Machiavelli, we're talking about everything in their kind of deep, the political culture and the political understanding of everything. It, it, I think the thing with he says, he keeps saying that you are a citizen, mm-hmm. you know, you, and we talk about your, you know, we're defending democracy. So these are very archetypal and primal ideas. It's not that you are a, you know, you're a good man or you are a Catholic or you are a husband or you are a, you're a citizen. And there's the citizen has kind of connections to the state. The citizen has, duties and rights and all the rest of it so it's this social contractual kind of thing that's going on these kind of it's very much it's a secular sacrament it's a secular kind of deal isn't it that's my reading of it but that's because maybe that's because that's my you know that's what i bring to the table with it but i think he makes a point lots of times doesn't he about that that you are a citizen yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's his, and that's his role as a pop, you know head of the political department. He gives a he gives a speech to on his first day as the head of the political department, which is a political speech, which is all about you know how we've got to combat subversion and we've got to protect society. A, a, another very kind of minor point, well, not minor, but I think it runs all the way through the film. He's got a coffee machine outside his office, which is he keeps he keeps coming out and going, get that moved, I don't want that there anymore. And it's like, and, and it sort of shows a certain weird limit to power as well, that yeah, you can you can do all this, get away with murder, but try moving that coffee machine. It's also like a kind of imposition of modernity, isn't it? Because it's, because there's no kind of like, you know, there's no kind of like, there's nothing modern. These people don't really watch the TV, as far as I can see. They don't go to the movies. They kind of they go to the beach. So it looks a bit like um, Death in Venice that sequence, isn't it? That where he's sitting. But I think modernity is definitely coming in because you have that amazing scene where he goes into the archives, and the archives are just like a warehouse of paper. Being computerized, exactly. And I think that's the coffee machine. I think that's the yeah, yeah. yeah. You know how well, how. You- how important coffee is to Italian culture of going to the bar and having a coffee. And now you've got this like offensive little machine outside his office. Yes. No, you're right. I think that the connection to the computing and the file, the filing is, yeah, is it, I hadn't, I hadn't made that connection, but I think that's, that's right. I think that's, there's a very clear, this clear thing that something is changing as well. Mm. I mean, obviously as well, this is made art at the, the fag end of like that period of the sixties. What's it called? The post sixty eight, isn't it? And you know, you, yeah, but it's during that period of sixties, and in the seventies, politics would be very defined by the left, wouldn't it? Yeah, you, you're you're entering into the Anni di Piombo, the the years of lead, where there was left wing yes. terrorism, and you've got, um, I mean, this guy, as much as uh, Kafka, and as much as there's a sort of science fiction fantastic element to it. The, one of the accusations of the right was that this guy was actually based on a real police inspector who was uh, considered to be potentially involved with the promotion of far-right groups. So there is a sort of like 
this isn't some sort of wild fantasy. This is kind of documentary, um, you know, a little bit like Children of Men seems to us now, where it's like, well, this I, isn't I, wild. I, well, I think it's, the, the one thing I don't, when I watch this, is I don't think that it's wild fantasy. Right, right. It's kind of, it's told in a heightened style, and it's done in a kind of, you know, it's got this kind of like slightly kind of um, manic kind of tension that runs mm. through it. But that's a heightened sort of subjective dramatic device, isn't it? I think if you look at the reality of like policing and the security forces and all the rest and, you know, internal, you know, uh, well, surveillance, all this sort of stuff, the kind of the, the sort of the, the police and the state. Like we, we talked about spy cops, didn't we, thing earlier on, but all that, the kind of infiltration of groups, the kind of setting up groups, you know, the, all that kind of subversion from within the kind of radical movement as well, that's all completely, that's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> They've done since time immemorial. So we know that. And it's not, a, I don't think, it's not a fantasy. I think it's it's a kind of, it's an artistic impression of something that's very real. I think that's the thing about it. It's very real. The mm. kind of, the, the misogyny, the patriarchy of it, is very real. There's just they're just all men of a certain age, you know, in a, in rooms. I mean, it could be the it could be the Conservative Party of 1972, you know, under Ted, Edward Heath. It could it looks like James Callaghan's cabinet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. In the 1970s, you know, it's 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 a weird thing. It's kind of interesting actually. Thinking about that, the when you look, there was some stuff about Thatcher that was on recently. It was a documentary about her cabinet or her cabinets. And the thing that was really interesting, if you watch them in 1970-80, compared to the politicians of the 1970s, her cabinet looks very young. Esseltine, mm, mm. Kenneth Clark, you know, these were guys in their 40s at this point and 50s, and they don't look as kind of shagged out as the kind of the, the post-war generation of politicians, you know, right. in the war. They, you know, these people have been there for years. And they were all kind of like exhausted. And there were the, the ones that were like that, the wets, people, the Willie Whitelaws and all that in that cabinet were of that generation. Yeah. Uh, so there's a kind of coming, there's a there's a generational shift as well that's kind of coming over the horizon and that you can see it in those radical figures. And, she, you know, is she a kind of embodiment of, of some kind of newly re- emergent feminist ideal? That the left are on the horizon. There's a gay guy that's on the horizon. There's kind of that these groups are kind of like they're marginalised, but they're there and they're much more vividly drawn than other people. Mm. They don't dress mm. in black and white. They're not doing these things. They kind of beat. They kind of jump across these boundaries and borders. Um. So yeah, and then maybe that in the way that the society is outside of the state. That's the other thing as well. That the state is this great kind of kind of you know it makes everything. Routine. Mm. It becomes this kind of thing. It's like, I think it's interesting in the beginning, they're in black sheets, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that that room is really interesting. I think that apartment is really interesting. It's sort of like such a psychologically uh, cluttered, it's got all these things you're talking about. And also, he. And real. Yeah, yeah. And it lo- looks like not, it, it really contrasts with his own home. And with mm. you know, and he's got books and records and things lying around. I hate apartments in modern films and television because mm. they never look like where anyone lives. Mm. They're just right. these horribly kind of you know precise and you know just yeah, they look like shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, I've been in places like this. I've been in people's apartments. I've been in their lofts. I've been in their kind of. But there's a piano in the hallway and a bike and a kind of like. That's what we love in train spotting when when he gets up in the morning and there's the bike in the hallway when yeah. he goes after he's been back to Diane's house. I think that's one of the best uses of a of a plot of a house I've ever seen in a film. But this this is also great in that in that way as well. She's got lots of books around as well, so that's always yeah. And her books are her books are literally jolly. She's got loads yeah. of crime novels, yeah, so yeah. it's it's like you know. Uh, she's she's so much could be just the cluttered inside of his own brain, um, that apartment. And it's, what would you, if somebody sort of uh, goes off and watches this and you, you, we've mentioned a lot of films, what, what, is there another Italian film that you might want to point people towards? Um, 
having watched this. That's interesting. That's an interesting. I think the consequences of love mm. is a good one. I think any of that, I think that El Devo, even the great beauty as well, I think there's a kind of like an element to all of them that's got that's similar. Mm. Because I think Sorrentino is is a sort of like he's a minor of Italian culture in the sort of way. And I think he gets that in a I mean, don't don't watch his English language stuff or some other things. But those ones I think are particularly special mm. of modern films. Um, I think if you go back, I mean, I think Ossessioni. Um, mm, absolutely. Visconti. That, that, that version. I still think that's the best version of the Postman Always Ring. Anyway, it's twice. That's, yeah. um, that is great. Um, that So think of that. Um, then, I mean, there's the obvious ones, and then there's like the leopard and stuff like that, if you're talking about power. Mm, mm. Uh, maybe even Rocco and his brothers as well. Yes, and then The Conformist, the Bertolucci. Well, is... actually, The Conformist is the other film that I was thinking of when I was watching this as well, is that it, well, that must be, the, it's roughly the same time, year before, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, but... yeah. Let me, let me check. I'll, um... It's 1970. So it's roughly the same time. So The Conformist, and The Conformist is, an, you're right, it's, it's probably, if you want to pick one film to kind of pair it with, it probably be that, because you've got someone from the other side dealing with all of these issues in a very different way. And in a way, it's not a surprise that that travels as well, because he's a very, it's an individual focused film. He's an individual, his character is very, um, I think that's kind of, uh, that plays well in, you know, the US and Britain, that kind of. But Alucci's so, so visually sumptuous as well, that he, yeah. when, when he looked, when he looks at corruption, he looks at he just makes the most beautiful camera movements and the autumn mm. leaves and the, you know the misty forest and to some degree that almost transcends the fact that you know you're watching a political assassination in the misty forest yeah. or you're looking at the heartlessness of uh you know well, uh, i think sorrentino had does a bit of that as well was mm. and he's bringing in the scorsese and ferrara kind of influences as well but i think there's an element of that there i'd say those those are the ones that kind of really sort of bring out for me if you fancy watching solo then you know you can if you want <laughs> That is going to be a future episode. James Wood. James Wood has has chosen that immediately with no hesitation, and I was like, "Oh God, do I have to watch it again?" And yeah, this yeah, yeah. Will, I think my, I've only ever watched it once. This is going to be my. Watch it, I did watch it at the cinema. Oh my God, that oh. I watched it on a double bill. I watched it not an official double bill. I went, I saw that, and then I went to see Requiem for a Dream. That's when I saw it. That's <laughs> an easy Saturday night. If you. <laughs> Saturday afternoon, Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah, well, that was when Direct Home for June came out, so it was that how long ago. I think I saw it. I think I saw Solo at the Prince Charles. I'm pretty sure it was that. And then I went round to the Curzon Soho and watched Direct Home for a Dream. And then you just went home, went straight to bed without talking to anybody. Yeah, just I like, didn't, I can't I didn't, deal with people. For... Yeah, I went to church. Brilliant. Oh, listen, James, thanks so much for uh, uh, coming on and, and talking about um, investigation of a citizen uh, above suspicion. It's a brilliant film. It was, it was a real yeah. pleasure to to sort of uh, revisit it with you. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. It was great to watch it again. It's great to talk about, you know, stuff that doesn't involve spandex and superpowers. and. <laughs> <laughs> Arrivederci ragazzi, ci vediamo in un prossimo film, lo speriamo.